It's already been mentioned today, but what a blessing it is to be able to assemble and to come together on the first day of the week. It's our heartfelt desire, of course, to do this in a way that would honor and please and exalt our great God in heaven. It was mentioned in prayer a moment ago. It's not our wish to please ourselves. Didn't Paul say, if we please ourselves, we are not the servant of Christ? Galatians 1 verse 10. And so I hope you have your Bible because we're going to note some interesting things, at least I suppose so, over the next few moments of our study this morning. You may have noted the title of the lesson is a little on the unusual side. Attempting to pronounce that is a bit challenging, isn't it? Y-H-W-H. But as we'll learn in our study today, there's very good reason for writing it that way. These introductory thoughts will motivate and prompt us with regard to what we're about to study for the remainder of the lesson this morning. Now, we would all agree, would we not, that name is significant. Now, parents often spend weeks, if not months, picking out the name they'll give to that new baby boy or baby girl. Not only that, one is often rather careful to select names corresponding to, to something that one would expect to be easily remembered. Now, when those who have the opportunity to name a roadway, often it's named as a designation for someone significant or who had an important part to play in making that roadway a reality. Sometimes a city or a village, as they select a name, clearly they do that with care. Do you remember that scene a few years ago when a city in Russia was rather unhappy with the name that was theirs because it was so hard to pronounce? People around the world struggle in an attempt to pr pronounce that name. Certainly it's fair to say the name of God is extraordinarily significant. You'll notice at the top of that slide, I would ask you to notice that the Bible makes reference to the Godhead on a few occasions. For instance, in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 9 says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And there again is a reference to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but yet they are a part of that family designated as God. Well, may I suggest to you that as you come to the bottom of that slide with me, I wonder what the name of God is. Maybe you and I have grown up, or maybe for years in our life, we simply refer to Him as God. Today, as we study His name, I think you'll be appreciative of the fact that the Bible has a different name for Him than that. And you and I would do well to know what that name is. Let's start our study then like this. I thought it would be wise to develop, at least on this initial slide of our lesson, a few passages in the Word of God that cast a spotlight on just how significant, just how important, and quite frankly, how necessary it is to appreciate the name of God. And so let's begin like this. Could I directly invite you to note, the name of God is sufficiently important that the Word of God lists a number of blessings or a number of direct rewards that are attached to the knowledge of that name. If somebody thus were just off the street ask you or me today, what's the name of God? Probably we would just answer God, but I hope in our study today we'll notice that the Word of God has much to say about this. Consider some of these verses. 
In 1 Kings 8 verse 43, Solomon as he made the dedicatory speech for the temple, he highlighted that those who know the name of God are those who are in the position of receiving great blessing. Furthermore, in Psalm 9 verse number 10, what a great value is prescribed to those who know the name of God. Now admittedly, those were the days of the Old Testament and yet there was something incredibly powerful and highlighted about those who knew His name. Let's look at the next one. In Psalm 5, verse number 11, a statement was made. It's not merely a statement of loving God, but it's those who love His name. Would you ponder that for a moment? There's something specific, not merely about loving God, but loving His name. Do you and I love His name? Let's look at the next one. In Psalm 119, verse 55, there was a statement of command given to remember His name. Now again, don't just remember God, that's obviously important, but remember His name. Well, already we can begin to see if it's important to remember His name, and if it's important to appreciate blessings through His name, I've got to know what His name is. Look at the next one in Exodus 20, verse number 7. We there remember the third of the Ten Commandments read like this, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. It might be of interest to again notice, it's not merely a desecration of the person of God. This is about His name. It was entirely possible thus for those in Moses' day and those of the ancient day of Israel that they would use that name in a way that would bring forth guilt in light of the nature of the God of heaven. Let's look at Matthew 6 verse number 9. Now this is from the lips of our Lord Himself. Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now if we merely pause at that point, did you notice how the Lord began that prayer? Our Father which art in heaven. And then He said, not merely blessing attached to God, but hallowed be thy name. Jesus made note even here about the significance and the great essential consideration of the name of God. Maybe one final thing. In Hebrews 2 verse number 12, a reference is therein made for all of us to sing in light of His name. Now maybe we've already looked at enough verses to specify that it's not merely something of interest to appreciate the existence of God. It's not merely enough to know about the fact that He is. The Bible is rather significant and also rather directive in highlighting we need to know His name. What's His name? What is His name? Well, let's use the rest of our sermon today to think about the name of God, to not only learn what the Word of God has to say about it, but how we might make application of that to our life today. That's where I got the title of the lesson. The name of God, Y-H-W-H. Now you may ask, that's 
nearly impossible to pronounce in English, and you'd be right. And so let's begin to develop some appreciation like this. First of all, I found it very comforting in some ways to think about how many times that word occurs in the Bible. 6,828 times that word, Y-H-W-H, occurs in the Bible. That's a lot of times. Isn't it interesting to notice or at least reflect on the fact that the God of heaven has sufficiently revealed to us His name so that we should be equipped to use it correctly, to recall it rightly, and to refer to Him using it properly. Y-H-W-H. Not only that, that word is so significant that those, of course, who are in the Hebrew character of ancestry have attached an interesting name to it. It's called the Tetragrammaton. And you've also noticed it with me that Y-H-W-H has no vowels in it. Now, in English, you and I know that we need vowels to tell us how something is to be pronounced. The consonants by themselves don't tell us how to pronounce it. It's the vowel sounds. And so for ages and ages, it's been observed that those four letters, Y-H-W-H, you could, by inserting various vowels, pronounce it differently. But that leads us to note this. Remember, God made a pronouncement. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So the Jews were very, very careful it was their desire to never, ever misuse it, misapply it, misdirect it, or use it in some way that would, in fact, bring the wrath and judgment of God. Therefore, what they typically did is they would never use it. In other words, even in various applications, they would insert something else. Let's read further in our study. The next point I would ask you to appreciate is this one. There are certain combinations of vowels you could use, and from that you could make a word we would recognize as Adonai. A-D-O-N-A-I. Now that word, quite frankly, means Lord. And in our English Bibles, at least in some translations, that reads Jehovah. But did you notice what I said? They inserted certain vowels, and most likely from those who are most knowledgeable of the Hebrew, it would not be the vowels that would have been most likely to have been used. But you'll notice, this word Jehovah was a word that didn't come along till 1518 A.D., thousands of years after the Bible was delivered and revealed by God. So I'd submit to you that Jehovah is not the name that one would most readily use. The one we would recognize is the one that God inserted in the, in the text Himself. And so you'll notice at the bottom, I think God tells us what this name is. Would you revisit with me Exodus chapter 3? That was the lesson text. It was read just a moment ago. Brother Mike read that for us. In Exodus chapter 3, the following developments took place. Amazingly enough, the scene read like this. The children of Israel were in Egyptian captivity. 
They had been there for a long, long time. And finally, God, through a burning bush, had spoken to Moses, You go and bring my people out of Egypt. You bring them out. Now, you may remember that Moses was initially reluctant. And his reluctance was initially expressed like this. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 11 of Exodus chapter 3. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go forth unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Again, Moses initially said unto God, Who am I that I would be the one selected and in fact commissioned to go and bring forth these people, your people, God, out of Egypt? God replies, verse number 12, And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain." So God initially issued a comforting statement to Moses, You indeed will go and let me give you this assertion. When you come out, you will be able to worship with that people on this mountain, me. Let's read further. Moses replied in verse 13, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Now here is the perfect place. Moses, in fact, then told God, When I go to them and I tell them that the God of their fathers has sent me, they're going to ask me, What is his name? Moses said, What am I supposed to tell them? What name do I tell them for you, God, that has sent me. Verse number 14 reads like this, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Moses had asked, What is your name? And when God gave his reply, he said, I am that I am. And then later in the verse, verse number 14, again it says, I am hath sent me unto you. Now in our English translations, this phrase, I am, is there. I wonder what's there in Hebrew. Well, by now you know. Y-H-W-H hath sent me. Y-H-W-H is the referring name that God said, This is what you call me. This is my name. And so this discussion, this name, as you can see at the bottom of that slide, Y-H-W-H, if we insert the vowels in English that seemingly are most correspondent to what would initially have been used for the proper pronunciation, it looks like Yahweh. That's His name. You and I should feel comfortable then to make use of that name as we refer to Him. That's His name. That's what he said. Now, our development of that name will take us through the rest of the study this morning, hopefully helping us appreciate several things about it. Yahweh. Let's start in Psalm 110, verse number 1. And would I ask you at this point to observe one thing our King James translators have done. In the 110th Psalm, for example... 
that is the most often quoted Old Testament passage in relation to the new. But I chose it to make the following observation. By now, each of us realize that as we read through the Bible, the word Y-H-W-H is not there anywhere. But yet it is there in the original language. Look at what our translators have done. In verse number 4, of, I'm sorry, verse number 1 of Psalm 110, the text reads, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so it is that we observe the word Lord appears twice in that verse. But would you be appreciative of this fact with me? The original words in Hebrew are not the same. Although they're translated as the same word, Lord. Look at this observation. One of them is in all capitals. Did you notice that? The second, the second word in the verse, the first occurrence of the word Lord is all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The second one, though is capital R, capital L, but lowercase o-r-d. That's the clue. The two are not the same. The first one that's all caps is Y-H-W-H, the name of God. Yahweh said this. The second one is not Yahweh. The second one is merely to the presiding official, the ruler, if you please, of a particular place and time. The King James translators, again, use the word Lord, but all caps is Y-H-W-H. Thus, every time you read in the Bible and you encounter this capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you see it as Yahweh. It's the name of God. And in all those occasions and references, it speaks about His magnitude extolling His greatness and the magnificence of the one we know as the great God of heaven. Let's read even further though on our slide. As we reflect on that text in Exodus 3.14 again, when Moses asked, what's your name? God said, I am. I am. Yahweh. And so it is that these characteristics immediately suggest a few things about God. When God said, I am is my name, what are some lessons you and I can take from that that not only are very meaningful for us, but surely must have been extremely significant to Moses as well as to the children of Israel? May I suggest this one? When God said, I am is my name, that immediately suggests, at least among other things, the appreciation that He's eternal. It's not that He once was, and it's not that He will be. It's that He is. I am. The God that you and I serve, Yahweh, He has always been and He always will be. He simply is. Don't you find it fascinating that one of the things that is often very meaningful in identifying a given individual is to trace that person's ancestry? Who is His father? Who is his mother? What about his granddad? With God, such questions are meaningless, for he always has been. He's eternal. The concept of eternal, of course, stretches our mind greatly. We live in a 
environment that, of course, is limited. We're used to things dying, things wearing out, things that had a specific point of beginning, but with God it isn't so. No wonder in Psalm 90, verse number 2, the psalmist said it like this, "...from everlasting to everlasting thou art God." Infinitely into the future from our perspective, infinitely into the past from our perspective, God has always been. He is. Furthermore, in John 8, verse 58, don't you find it interesting Jesus, in fact, highlighted something along that line? You might remember the Pharisees, as often was the case, they were bothering Him. They were trying to confuse or entrap Him. And on one occasion He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, they were greatly bothered by that. They knew Abraham had lived a couple of thousand years earlier. And they knew Jesus, of course, was well less than even 50 years old. But notice Jesus said, even before Abraham existed, I am. To that we might add this characteristic, self-existent. I mentioned a moment ago that we often appreciate cause and effect. Something's existence depends on something that was prior to it. But with God, that idea again is meaningless. He does not depend on anyone or anything else for His existence. He is. To that, may we look at some of these verses. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 39, for example... That attribute was highlighted even in relation to Moses and the children of Israel. He depends on no one else. I chose to mention Isaiah 45 and 46. We won't read the entirety of those two chapters, but 11 times in those two chapters, God says, there is none else. There is none beside me. Don't you find that chilling in many ways? He is such that there is no equal to Him. And He depends on no one else for His sustenance, no one else for His power. In addition to those two characteristics, what about His almightiness? The very mention of I am that I am, doesn't that highlight in your thinking and mine, especially as we look at the context, here, Moses, you are about to march into this mighty nation of Egypt and you are going to be the thoroughfare through whom the children of Israel are brought to, to freedom. And when they ask, what's his name? You tell them, I am. I've got enough power to overwhelm Egypt. I've got enough power to overwhelm any adversary or foe you face. I am almighty. Yahweh is almighty. The human family has known of many powerful figures. You and I could list many of them. Kings like Alexander the Great, rulers such as Julius Caesar and others, all of them have come and gone. They've all faded into the dustbin of history. Yahweh is almighty. Hebrews chapter 11 describes that merely by word He was able to speak this world this entire universe into existence. As far as His almightiness, what about Job 42 too? Wasn't it true on that occasion that Job rather rightfully affirmed, I know that thou canst do everything. 
You see, God is powerful enough to bring about His will in every regard and in every way. To that text, we might add Matthew 19, 26. Didn't Jesus Himself on that occasion say, With God, nothing shall be impossible. As you and I think about these characteristics, they are all lessons we learn from His name. And there's one more. The essence of all being. That too seems to be a part of what this name suggests. Let me develop it like this, if I might. The opening verse in all the Bible reads like this, In the beginning, YHWH created the heaven and the earth. Now that word that's there is YHWH, and it says He created everything, the heaven and the earth, the essence of everything that is, everything that ever shall be. It all owes its existence to God. That name of God then is a rather amazing thing. For it tells us, of course, that we aren't self-sufficient. We walk on His footstool. We eat His food. We drink His water. We walk on His land. We breathe His air. All of it is due to Him, Y-H-W-H. It's at this point that perhaps we could also say this. As I transition to this next slide, let me invite you to take it back to the continuing context of Exodus 3. For not only did God say, I am that I am, the next verse He went on to say this, And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Rather plainly, God said this, Y-H-W-H, is my name. And so when they ask you the name of the one who sent you, that's what you tell them. Would you note the historical context? And isn't it impressive that God said, This is my name forever unto all generations. Maybe we ought to interject the following. I mentioned a moment ago, the Hebrew scribes were so interested, they never ever wanted to misuse or misapply in any way the name of God because Exodus 27 said one was be judged as guilty if he did that. And so they purposefully would not use that name. I think they did a significant disservice because God said when they ask you, that is my name, that's what you tell them. Today you and I ought to be quicker to use the word Yahweh. That's His name. When He said, my name is Yahweh and it's forever to be unchanged, we ought to feel comfortable to use it reverently, properly, and rightly, and to employ that name to direct the honor, the honor and the homage and the obeisance unto God. On that slide, you'll notice that I've asked you to appreciate Ephesians 4.29. As far as a New Testament application, let's at least ponder that in passing. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, said, 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. When God told Moses, Y-H-W-H is my name, and when they ask you, that's what you tell them. And then He said, make sure that this lasts unchanging through the generations. You and I live 3,500 years this side of the writing of Exodus chapter 3. Three and a half millennia have come and gone, but God's name lives on. You and I should then be sure to use it reverently, to use it properly, to use it with exquisite reverence and honor. Now, I did think it wise, as we have discussed YHWH today, to remind ourselves about Yahweh and the greatness of it. It is not at all improper, though, to notice these additional descriptions and names that sometimes have been associated with God. Sometimes there are songs that make use of some of these. Let's mention them in passing. There's a song that sometimes is sung in which references to God are such that He is referred to as El Shaddai. As you can see, that phrase simply means it would seem overpowering strength. In other words, it's a reference to the almightiness of God, but it's housed in the name El Shaddai. On the other hand, Elohim. This one you will frequently see as you look at references to the Old Testament. I say that for this reason. As you look at commentators, they often will make a great deal about Elohim is the word here as opposed to Yahweh. And maybe in times there's significance there, in many cases though there isn't. The commentators make out what really is nothing. But you'll notice what Elohim means. It associates to the idea of reverence and fear. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Notice that's Y-H-W-H. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, Psalm 89.7. In addition to those two, Adonai, we noted that one earlier today. It means Lord. Now, there's a distinction between the two, at least in many cases, but it's a reminder that Y-H-W-H, that name Yahweh, is the great name that we excitedly are able to use concerning Him. Z-E-B-O-A-T, that one's a fairly rare one. Notice it identifies the God of the armies of Israel. That is, the one who in war will march ahead of his people, bringing them to victory with triumph over their enemies. Finally, the word God. Now that one's the one you and I probably have grown up using so much. Notice what it means. It is a development from the initial word El, E-L. And you probably have noticed a lot of words of the Bible that have E-L as a part of it, like the city Bethel. Bethel. That just means house of God. Everywhere you see that L development, that's what came to be used by English as this word God. But you'll notice it still is slightly different than Yahweh. May you and I be quick to use Yahweh on occasion at least, and we want to refer to God, that's His name. 
as we close our study this morning. We've studied the name of God. We have noted a distinction between capital L-O-R-D and only the one that has capital L. 6,828 times Yahweh occurs in the Bible. He wants us to call Him by His name. May we thrillingly do that, but always with reverence. Because again, it's true that if we take His name in vain, if we use it lightly, irreverently, flippantly, we, in fact, will bring judgment upon ourselves. I know that we live in a society where the name of God has often come to be used very lightly. There are songs, speaking vocabulary, language, conversation, and others in which the name of God is often employed in such an irreverent way. God's taking notice of those things. When you and I call Him God, that certainly is fine. But I find it very interesting that when Moses asked him what his name was, he said Yahweh. You and I can today still use that name, for he said it was never to change. And so when we call Him Yahweh, may we call upon His name in the way that He would have us to do it. And as we call upon it, that means in faithful and obedient service to Him. Have you obeyed the Master? Have you obeyed Yahweh? He in love sent His Son. That Son, of course, is the second member of the Godhead. And that Son died on the cross. That Yahweh died. Have you faithfully obeyed Him? If you've never done that in baptism, don't you know you can't put Jesus on except in that way? Believe Him with all of your heart. Believe Him to be Yahweh. Confess His name upon your repentance and then be buried in baptism for the remission of sins. If you have begun walking with Him, and maybe for a while you knew the significance of the name Yahweh, perhaps that's been lost. Maybe your life has been a rather poor reflection of Yahweh. Maybe your life hasn't been the holiness which it ought to have been. Remember, He said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 If today we could pray to God on your behalf as you repent and confess of sins known publicly, we would be honored to do that. And God, Yahweh, would draw you back to Him by forgiving you of all those sins through the agency of the blood of His Son. But that decision is left to you. Will you come back to Him? Or will you refuse Him? The name of Yahweh has been our study today. I hope we've all been encouraged about that name. The eternal, almighty, unchanging God of heaven. He calls each of us to be faithful to Him. And if you need to do that in a public way today, we're going to stand in just a moment and sing this song of encouragement. It's a time of invitation. Right now, won't you come while together we stand and sing?